There was a preacher back in the 1800s by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers, one of the most influential, influential preachers of his day. Thousands of people would come to hear him, and many people would travel from around the world to come and seek his advice. There's a story they tell about a man who came to Spurgeon, and he wanted some advice on where he could find the perfect church. He wanted a perfect church. He wanted a place with no hypocrisy, no duplicity, a place where everyone loved each other, where, where everyone worked together, where Christ was lifted up. The perfect church. And Spurgeon told him he did not know where he would find a church like that. But he said, if you ever do, if you find a church like that, whatever you do, do not join it. I mean, he said, well, why? Why wouldn't I want to join a church like that? And Spurgeon said, because the minute you join it, you will ruin it. And I understand Spurgeon's point. I also understand the man's desire. We, we long for something perfect, especially when it comes to matters of faith. We want the genuine article. We want the, the true church, the right church. We want the perfect church. And we're not alone. How often do you hear someone say, someone who doesn't attend church, will say, I'm not going to church because all they've got there is a bunch of hypocrites. You've heard that before, right? And they're right. In fact, it's been like that since the very beginning. By the time we get to Acts chapter 5, there's no point in hiding it. We're seeing that there is trouble in the church. We're looking at Acts 5 today, verses 1 through 16. Just to give you a little background and kind of a refresher in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they had received the Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit had come on them with power. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. Uh, the Word of God is proclaimed. Uh, Jesus is worshipped. And thousands of people hear and see and people respond. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to, the, to go pray. They encounter a man, a, a lame man, a, a handicapped man, begging in front of the temple. Peter heals that man. He proclaims Jesus and people respond. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are, are, are arrested. The Jewish council tells them they are not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. They do it anyway. The church takes care of each other. They love each other. They support each other. They provide for each other and people respond. The church continues to grow. And, and I want you to notice that from Acts chapter 2 to chapter 4, Everything that the church did, they did out in the open. They did it in places where people would see them, where they would know what was going on in full view of the community. And so we get to Acts chapter 5, and there is trouble. But there is no one hiding it. There's no one hiding that trouble. I want to begin in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, as we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 1 begins, But... But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? 
Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Well, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came and in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the church in Jerusalem. First church of Jerusalem. They are being led by the apostles, by men who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus. Uh, They are in attendance at the first church in Jerusalem. Is Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers are part of that church. The people there in that church are, are, are being healed. They are being helped. Lives are being changed. People are being brought together. It says at the end of chapter 4, everyone who was there was of one heart and one soul. But this is not a perfect church. And everyone knew that. And I hope we can take some comfort in realizing that even the first church was not a perfect church. And I hope we can also see it as a challenge because the world is watching. The world is watching. They're seeing what's happening. Your world is watching you. Your world is watching you. Make sure they see Jesus. People are watching us. Our community is watching us. Your world is watching you. What are they looking for? What are they watching for? Well, they're watching our integrity. This is a a difficult chapter. It's a difficult story in the book of Acts. I've been calling this series the church on target. The church on target. This is what we're shooting for. This is what we're aiming for. This is not it, okay? The story of Ananias and Sapphira is not our goal, but this church is. And Luke makes that clear. I love that that Luke actually records this incident. He doesn't hide it away. It's not a dirty little secret that the church didn't let anyone know about. They didn't pretend it didn't happen. Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, I don't remember them. Did, Did they go to church here? Yeah, you know, I think they left. I think they went to another, they moved, they, they retired and they went down south and they're going to church. You know what? I think maybe that's that couple that caught that virus that was going around and they died. They just died. No, they don't, they don't hide it. He puts it out there. People need to know because they're watching their integrity. And now more than ever, people are are watching our integrity. They have more opportunities now than ever to watch our integrity because we put it out there. We put out what's going on in our lives. We put out there what's going on in our church. People see it in our posts on Facebook and they see it around there. There are no secrets. And people have more opportunities to see what churches are doing and what the church leaders are doing. I think of a man like Ravi Zacharias 
A man who is a great speaker and a great defender of the gospel. Rabbi Zacharias, who I read his books. I listened to his sermons. I've bragged that I got to hear him in person one time. And then he passed away last year. And suddenly we find out that the life this man lived was not the life that he had professed. He was living a life where he was using and abusing other people. And all of this comes out after he's dead, after he cannot answer to us for what he's done. I think about the news that's come out in the last couple of weeks about Josh Duggar and the Duggar family, a family that the media lifted up for one reason or another, but in many ways was lifted up as the ideal Christian family. This is what a committed group of Christians, a committed Christian family looks like, only to find out that he's dealing with an addiction to child pornography. And not only was he lying, but there had to have been people lying for him. Secrets were hidden away. Who were they protecting? And how many more have been hurt by those secrets? How many opportunities for eternity, for for the gospel to be taken seriously, have been lost because of a lack of integrity? You know, this incident with Ananias and Sapphira, it doesn't begin here in chapter 5. If you notice, the very first verse of chapter, the very first word in verse 1 of chapter 5 is but. It begins with a but. And you go back and you look at chapter 6, or should we, chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. It was there that we read, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Joseph, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And I mentioned last week as we looked at chapter 4, there's no commands there, by the way. There is no command. Nothing in the Bible says, if thou art a Christian, thou shalt sell thy field and bring the money to the feet of the apostles or to the elders or to the preacher. Nothing says that. Joseph did this. This was his act of of generosity. There was no command to do this. Chapter 5 begins with a but because we're not seeing the same thing happening in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. This is a different action. This is a different purpose. This is a different motivation. Integrity. Integrity means that what's on the inside matches what's on the outside. What's on the inside is the same as what's on the outside. So there are no surprises. There are no lies. There are no deceptions. There are no disappointments. People are watching our integrity. And you hear that when Peter confronts both Ananias and his wife Sapphira, when he confronts what they've done. Look at how Peter describes it there in those first verses of chapter 5. He says, you lied. He says, you contrived. Again, he says, you lied. You tested the Spirit of the Lord. You notice what he didn't call it? He never called it a sin. You know why? He didn't have to. He didn't have to call it a sin. It's obvious. It's a sin. But he doesn't call it a sin. You know what? The people around us, they don't care when we talk about sin. When we start talking about sin, all, we, all they think is that we're out to spoil their fun. We're out to take away all the things that they enjoy doing. They don't care about sin. They don't care when we talk about sin. They care about the truth. And they will tell you when someone has lied. They will tell you when someone has contrived. They'll tell you when someone lacks integrity. They care about integrity. And when they see a Josh Duggar who lied and who others had to have been lying for him as well, when they see a Robbie Zacharias who lied about who he was, they want to see integrity. They are watching our integrity. And when it's there, they will notice. And when it's not there, 
They will really notice. They're watching our integrity. And we see that through this incident with Ananias and Sapphira. We also see that they're watching our conduct. One of the things that I, I appreciate about these early chapters in the book of Acts is, again, everything is happening out in the open. Day of Pentecost, chapter 2. Everything is happening out in the open. Everyone can see and hear what's going on. Acts chapter 3, the healing at the temple. It happens out in the open. And while it would have been real easy after that for the church to lay low, to go behind closed doors, and to hide themselves away, they don't. The whole community knows what's happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and they're watching the church to see how they continue. They're watching to see how they conduct themselves, how they move on from here. Verses 12 and 13. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. They continued to meet together on Solomon's portico. Some of your Bibles might say Solomon's Colonnade. I like the word Solomon's porch because I have a porch. I don't have a portico. I don't have a colonnade. I have a porch. And I like that. They're meeting together in the open. It's the open area on the east side of the temple, the big opening by the beautiful gate. That's Solomon's portico. Everybody walks in that way. They're not hiding themselves. That's the same area where Peter healed that man. It's the same area where Peter preached that sermon in chapter 3. The point is they're not hiding. They are returning to the place that made them both famous and infamous. It's also the place where Peter got arrested. Peter and John got arrested. They're not hiding. They're meeting in public. People see them and they're watching their conduct. And the church is okay with that. In fact, they've positioned themselves to be out in the open. That's a key to how Peter, that, that, that's a key to how Peter defines what Ananias and Sapphira have done. You know, he calls it a lie. He says that they've contrived, that they've lied to the Holy Spirit, that they've, that they've lied to God. But he also says in verse 3, Satan has filled your heart to lie. Did you get that? This isn't just about them. This is a satanic attack. In Acts chapter 3, they were attacked from the outside. From the outside, the, the, the leaders, the Jewish council told them, you're not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. You're not to heal people in the name of Jesus. Don't do this anymore. That was an attack from the outside. Satan attacks us very often from the inside. He's attacking from the inside. Satan has filled your heart to lie. That's what Satan loves to do. He loves to get us alone. He loves to get us in those dark places. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, take no part in the works of darkness, but expose them. That's what they're doing. And he says, no one dared join them. I mean, you think about it. Put, that, put yourself in their position. Two things have happened that, they, that the people around them know about. One, a lame man who begged in front of the temple, he got healed. Two, two people who lied have dropped dead at the feet of Peter. Now, which one do you deserve? <laughs> which one do you think is most likely to happen to you? Knowing yourself, knowing what you've done, knowing probably what you deserve, which one do you think you deserve more? Well, they're... They're giving Peter a wide berth. They're giving the apostles a wide berth. No one dared join them. When they saw them at the portico, they walked around them. And yet, at the same time, 
The people held them in high esteem. They were highly regarded. Again, it speaks of their integrity. Even though they knew they were imperfect, they were genuinely imperfect. I think it speaks to the courage of the, of the Christians that they continued to stand on the message of Jesus despite trouble. And I would say this, the believers knew that they could not hide themselves away from their community. They knew that they were not allowed to hide themselves away from their community. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, let your light shine before men so they might see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. We need to be visible. We need to be visible. People need to see us. They need to see who we are. They need to see what we're doing. They need to see that we are here, that we are a loving community and we're not perfect, but we care for each other. We care for the people around us. I want people to see that because they are watching our conduct. They're watching our integrity. They're watching our conduct. And then there's something else that they're watching. And we need to make sure they can see this. They are watching our hope. It almost sounds like there are contradictions here. Verse 11 says that there was a great fear that seized all the people. Verse 13 says no one dared join them. And then we come to verse 14. And on verse 14 we read, but more than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Where are they coming from? As afraid as they were, as frightened as they were of what they had seen, Something still drew them in. Something still called them closer. They, they came closer to hear the apostles speak, to hear Peter speak. They came closer to see what happened. That something was the hope that they saw in the believers. That same hope that we have to offer the people around us. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, they, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I love verse 15, that people were laying the sick out on cots and on mats so that maybe Peter's shadow would fall on them and maybe they would be healed. You know, they had, they had seen two things happen. Peter touched a guy and the guy got up and walked. He jumped up. He leapt up. Also, two people fell down dead at Peter's feet. Well, maybe we don't want Peter touching us. <laughs> maybe we, we should be careful. But you know what? Maybe his shadow, maybe his shadow could touch us. It's a strange thing. It sounds... It sounds a little superstitious. It may not be superstitious, but it's a little stitious. <laughs> and there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that that worked. Luke doesn't say it worked, okay? He doesn't say that it actually worked. Nothing in the Old Testament talks about magic healing shadows. Nothing that Jesus told the apostles in, in, the, in a time with them. He never said, oh, and by the way, you're going to have magic healing shadows if you... Your shadow touches someone that's going to clear up whatever the problem is. But I'll tell you what I think is happening here. I think whether it worked or not, people took this action based on what they knew that the church was about. The church was about helping. The church was about healing. The church was about bringing hope to people. And they took this action based on what they knew the church was about. You know, if, if Peter touching you works, maybe this will work too. They were imagining new possibilities. They were allowing their hope to be stretched. I love it 
when people stretch their hope. I would much rather see people stretch their hope than people shrink their hope. And the, it's a beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is, if we capture that for ourselves, if we allow our hope to be stretched, people around us will see that. And they will capture that for themselves also. Do you remember Paul's prayer? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul prays now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that you can ask or imagine. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that you can ask or imagine. That's the reality of our hope in action. It imagines, hope imagines new possibilities, new possibilities for us, new possibilities for our community. People are watching us and they need to see our hope. People saw the integrity of those early believers. They saw the integrity of the apostles, their courage in the face of danger. They saw their conduct. And they also saw their hope. And when they saw those things, the people around them imagined greater things for themselves. I want to believe that people around us can imagine greater things for themselves. I want to imagine that, I want to believe that, that the people around us could imagine greater hope for themselves because of what they see in us. I want to think there are people in our community who have struggled with addictions for years who have been held in prison by those addictions, who know that they can be set free from that because of the hope that the church brings to the community. I want to know that there are people who have been wounded, deep, deep scars on their souls, that they've been wounded for years and they've carried that hurt for years and that they know that they might be healed and that they know that they might stop hurting and stop hurting others because of what they've seen in the church. I want to believe this because of what they see in us, because they know our hope. Your world is watching you. Make sure they see Jesus. You know, I've seen those people who like that man who came to Spurgeon. I've seen those people that want the perfect church. I've seen those people who have made it their goal to find the perfect church. And it is amazing how every now and then they find it. Every now and then they find the perfect church and they are so excited about the perfect church and they tell you about the perfect church and how wonderful the perfect church is and how awesome the prayer time is and how awesome the worship is and how great the preacher is at that perfect church. And then they see a little scratch here and a little dent here. There's a little ding on the side over there and they find a few problems and then a few flaws and, and suddenly those flaws become bigger and bigger and bigger and then it's amazing how they're down the road looking for another perfect church. And they find it. They find the other perfect church. And they, they start it and then, you know, there's a problem here or there. <laughs> and they never seem to notice. The common denominator in all those churches is them. <laughs> and us, and everyone. I don't have a perfect church for you, mainly because I'm a member of this church. I don't have a perfect church for you, but, but hear me out. Perfect is not the hope. Perfect has never been the hope here. If you're looking for perfect this side of heaven, you're not going to find it. And so instead, let's lift up our actual hope because our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in what our perfect Savior has done for us. Let's lift him up in our integrity. Let's lift him up by making sure that what's on the inside matches what's on the outside.
Let's lift him up in our conduct so that people might see who we are and what we're doing. And let's lift him up even in our flaws. If people see our flaws, let's make sure our hope shines even brighter. We look forward to perfect. We hope for perfect someday when the perfect comes. But until then, we continue to strive to simply be faithful, to simply be genuine, to recognize that every week, it doesn't matter how perfect your week has been, we come back to this to remind ourselves that we are in need of a Savior, that we need, we need Jesus. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Those of you who are watching at home, if you've got some crackers and some juice ready, we would love to have you join us as we take together here in just a few moments. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we, something in our heart longs for perfect. Something in our heart would love to see perfection. And, and Lord, there's times we look for that in ourselves and it's not there. We look for that in each other and it's not there. We look for that in a group of believers and it is not there. So would you once more fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And when we seek perfect, let us look to him. And Lord, in our own imperfect ways, in our great need for salvation, let us point other people to Jesus. I pray that they can see him through our integrity, through our conduct, and most of all, through our hope, through the way that we hold to him, that they might find him as well. Lord, bless this time as we share the Lord's Supper together. Bless this bread that represents a body, the body that was broken for us. And bless this cup that represents the blood that was shed so that we might be one family united in your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.